0: Welcome to the We Are Calvary podcast, where our mission is to share Jesus and help people experience life change. Thank you so much for listening. Here's this week's message. We're still in the morning, so good morning. That was great. I didn't even have to... Everyone else, I was like non-rhetorical, give me a little more. I'm black. I just need feedback. Come on. (laughs) Please, you know, um... And y'all were like, no, it's 11.30. We had time to eat, to sleep, to all the stuff. So we came ready. That's beautiful. Um, Would you stand with me? And um, even as we were, I feel like we're supposed to just sing for one more moment. And um, so let's, let's multitask. Are you ready? First of all, if you have a Bible, you can swipe it or flip it to Psalm 37. Take a second to do that. The sound of, sound of like Bible pages flipping. <laughs> it's great. And then um, I just feel like we're just supposed to sing one more for just one more moment. Um, singing, you know, it's a spiritual discipline, right? It's not like the warm-up act. Uh, it's a it's a discipline. It forms our hearts. It steers our loves. And uh, it's also not a competition. So if you're like, my voice ain't ain't all it like we we can't all sound like Taylor in the morning, but um, but we we can. Give Jesus something that, even if I don't feel that, I can give him my voice. I think he's worth that much. And so, even if you're uncomfortable with it, um, I just want to go back to that chorus one more time and uh, just do something like just shake your arms because some of you look tense. <laughs> and
1: <laughs> you are holy, holy. Are you, Lord God Almighty? Worthy is a Lamb. Worthy is a Lamb. For you are holy. Yes, you are. Holy. Are you, Lord God Almighty? the Lamb, Who worthy is for you are You are holy Holy Are you Lord God Almighty Who worthy is the Lamb Just one more time for you are. You are holy, holy, are you Lord God Almighty, worthy is the Lamb.
0: Psalm 37. Psalm 37. And if it helps you even, um, I like to open my hands sometimes, just a way of posturing my body. You know, you're not just a thinking thing, you're not just an emoting thing, you are a person with a body made in the image of God. And so we don't just wanna posture our minds, we wanna posture our whole selves. And so if you're willing and able, just follow me for a second. If you're willing and able, just open up your hands, just as a way of saying, God, even with my body, I wanna be available to you. And we stand for the reading of scripture, not because it's more spiritual, but simply because, again, we want to give reverence, we wanna give attention to the thing that's more important. You can tune out when I talk, but just give the scripture like 30 more seconds. I'm actually okay with that, I, I really meant that. But let's just give the scripture like 30 seconds. So take a deep breath in, let it out slowly. Just be present right now, there is a God at the center of reality, who knows your name. Each of you, like individually, and he loves you deeply, and he's attentive to you. So here are the words of Scripture. Do not fret or get agitated or angry because of those who are evil, or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will do this. He will make your righteousness or he will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Be still still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Be still before the Lord and wait. Now, may we be good hearers and better doers. May we love Jesus deeply. May we trust what Jesus says. And may we follow Jesus well. Amen. If you're younger than your mother, feel free to sit down. You got it, you got it, you got it. I need to do two things that I probably shouldn't do. First of all, Taylor, can you pass me that chapstick? My lips are just... It has nothing to do with anything. I'm just like, do we, are we going to suffer for 34 minutes? No, we're just going to deal with chap lips because <laughs> nobody wants that. Ah, there we go. That Burt's Bees, it has that like sizzle at the end, you know, that like peppermint. Some good stuff, y'all. Second of all, um, I'm going to do something else I'm not supposed to do. So when you're a guest teacher in a place, you're supposed to do this thing, right, and it goes like this. You basically like introduce yourself, tell a little bit about yourself in a way that's not like... What's the word? Narcissistic, but also like somewhat helpful, so people kind of trust you. Maybe you show a picture of like your spouse or your kids or your pet. I don't have a pet. Um, I do or kids. I have a wife, and sometimes I feel like I'm her kid. And. Um, And then uh, you're supposed to find like a part of your life as an analogy, maybe within those frameworks to kind of set up your sermon in a way that's an introduction. That's kind of when some wins everybody over, but brings you in pretty quickly. Have you ever had that experience in a church sermon before? Okay, so let's bump all that. And um, I'm just going to save us four minutes of this sermon right now. So we're going to skip that part. Okay, cool. Good. Yes. Non-rhetorical. Yes. We okay with that? Like, do you need the story sermon thing? I can make something up. Okay, we're not going to. Great, let's get straight to the point. Life is hard. And eventually you will find yourself stuck. See, you'll come to a place in your life, and many you already have, where you will find yourself stuck in the gap. What's the gap? Thanks for asking. The gap is the space between where you are and where you want to be, between who you are and who you want to be. It's what the psalmist is feeling when he sees the wicked people flourishing while the righteous seem to be stuck waiting. Do you know what it's like to see where you wanna go or who you wanna become, but you just feel so stuck, like in the in-between, in the middle? It's having made it this far, but knowing that the journey ahead is still long. Arriving in the new season, but feeling unsettled. Being in that relationship, but it's still kind of disappointing. Getting the treatment, but waiting on the results. Having had that conversation, but there's still kind of the awkward tension. It's working on yourself, but still being stuck in the pattern. It's wanting to be more like Jesus, but being very aware of the still, quiet, hidden struggles. It's praying that prayer but still waiting for the provision. It's doing all the things that you know how to do, but it still hasn't yet worked out. That's the gap. The space between where you are and where you want to be. Have you ever experienced the gap before? I hate the gap. Like, hate that space in life. And I try to avoid it as much as possible, but I'm coming to grips with the reality that a lot of my life will actually take place in that gap. Now there's a word for the lived experience in the gap. Do you know what it is? It's waiting. See, waiting is the act of living in the gap and it's a part of the human experience. The problem is that waiting sucks, right? Like, quick show of hands, who has a hard time waiting? Okay, um, quick show of hands, who has a hard time with honesty? No? (laughs) See now, wow, that really got you. That was great. Sometimes you hope a joke lands. Thank you for that. But I know a lot of people, we talk about life being a journey. You know, you sing the songs like Life was a Highway and all the other ones, the anthems. are like, Yeah, it's not about the destination, it's about the journey, which you're like, kind of. But what about when the journey takes too long? See, sometimes the journey of waiting is the hardest part. Have you ever noticed that about yourself then, that we we'll have a hard time waiting? Anybody else? See, there's a word for that. There's a word for how most of us wait. Do you know what that word is? Impatience. You're with me. See, impatience is the lack of inner fortitude to wait well. It's the word that we use to describe when we don't wait well. It means I don't have what I need inside me to wait well. And for a lot of us, it doesn't take much work to see the symptoms, right? Like, and if nothing just comes to mind, ask whoever you're sitting by, ask your friend, ask your spouse, ask your kids. Like, it's pretty... They'll, they'll tell you if impatience is hard for you, but it's like me in the grocery line. I don't know if you have this experience, but like there's a Trader Joe's that's about like three blocks from my house. So I'll walk down the grocery store and I'm getting to the end and my wife does not care about time, I deeply do. And um, that's a whole other sermon. So, um, but we're in the line and I'm like doing that thing where you're like calculating like which line's gonna be faster, right? So it's like, okay, they have seven items, they have 10 items. That clerk moves like kind of quick, but that clerk has someone bagging. That person's using like Apple Pay, but that person's using coupons. And you're like having to do the math of like, which line's going to get me faster. And then if you're like, have problems like me, you have your like spouse getting one line, you get in the other, and then the, <laughs> yeah, you get it. It's being on hold, like, and then you're waiting and waiting on the phone, and then you're still just talking to that dumb machine, and you're like, no, just let me speak to a representative. Let me speak to a representative, let, and you hit zero, because like, in your mind now, you're like, if I hit zero, it might just, it's being born and raised in Seattle. I was born in the Central District, even though I live in Portland now, and like, you're like, the traffic ain't what it used to be, you know? Waiting. Impatience. Yeah, those are fun examples that are silly, but what about all the ways we don't wanna talk about? The restlessness when life feels behind schedule. The frustration when things don't go as planned. The angst of not being able to arrive in life faster. The sleeplessness of not knowing how things will work out. The sadness about the way things are and the irritability of not being in control. See, there's something going on inside of us. Something's out of whack. We might not wanna admit it, but most of us, were are impatient. We don't wait well. But I'm not here to villainize it. Like, yo, I am the president of that fan club. There's a number of understandable reasons why we don't wait well. Let me give you two. First of all, we don't wait well because we have been formed to not wait well. Have you ever heard the idea we are not human doings, we're human beings? Ever heard that kind of concept before? Let me take it a step further. You're not just a human being, you are a human becoming. You are becoming someone. The question is not if, the question is, who are you being shaped into and who is shaping you into that? Consider the last few centuries of Western civilization. For most of human history, societies that were largely agrarian, think farmers and fruit. Things happened seasonally and slowly. But the Industrial Revolution, it introduced helpful advancements in machinery, transportation, communication, mass production, but that also did something. It began to reshape society's experience of time. See, society, yes, we became more productive, but at a cost. See, we shifted from being societies where waiting is a common, acceptable, and just necessary part of life, to societies where waiting is seen as inconvenient at best and wasteful at worst. And we only feel that more in the digital or informational age that we now live in. So many parts of our normal life, they're subtly teaching us that life exists for me and things should happen for me quickly. Just think about things like um, fully stocked grocery stores. You know, that's like a new invention in the course of human history, where you can get everything you want in one moment in one store. Let me give you a faster list fast food. Overnight shopping, overnight success, same-day highlights, breaking news, one-clip shopping, next-day shipping, mass-producing, binge-watching, emailing, text messaging, Google searching, red-eye flying, and the list goes on. And y'all, I'm not here to hate on any of those things. I, like, I took a train in here, and I'm taking a flight back today, back to my home, and I'm really glad that I don't have to take horse and buggy or walk. <laughs> Deeply glad for that. But I am curious, Like, what are these ways of living doing to us? How are they forming or shaping us? You know, my mom, she is from Ethiopia, and my wife, she's from Nigeria. I've spent time in Ugandan villages and in slums in India where people have to wait for basic necessities like water or medicine. Yet it's wild to me that in societies that have a lower quality of life, they seem to handle waiting better than we do. I'm convinced that our lifestyles, our city and our world, they're not neutral. Everything we do and everywhere we are and even our very moment in human history is shaping who we are becoming. And if we're not careful, if we're not watchful, society, they form us and shape us into people who care more about what we're doing and where we're going than who we're becoming. See, we're becoming people who are in a hurry or feel behind or are cramming in more trying to maximize our lives or stretched thin, subtly on edge, constantly disappointed and not not marked by the peace, the joy, the contentment, the hope, or the interior freedom of Jesus. And the results, they're subtle, but they're telling. We're unable to wait well. So you see, we don't wait well because we have been formed to be impatient and we don't wait well because we trust that we're self-sufficient. By the way, that's a myth. And unfortunately, it's a myth that our society and dare I say, like our country kind of perpetuates. Just think about individualism. It teaches that life is best lived through autonomy, independence, and self-reliance. Consumerism teaches that to live well, I must acquire and consume goods and services for myself. Materialism ignores the impacts of consumerism and teaches that possessions and comfort are paramount to my individual happiness." The educational system, it often emphasizes and overemphasizes competition and self-reliance, subtly teaching that that life is competitive and largely dependent on individual effort. In media, it portrays successful people as self-made, downplaying the role of community support and collaboration, which reinforces the myth that success is achieved through individual effort. Started from the bottom, now I'm here. Where Beyonce says, I woke up like this. I woke up like this, or in other words, I am self-sufficient. See, these are the waters we swim in. We're being formed to be self-sufficient, yet you will come to a place in your life where yourself is not sufficient. See, impatience, that's what leaks out when reality pokes a hole in the myth of our self-sufficiency and we rudely find out that we're not self-sufficient, we're not in control, and now all we can do is wait. Have you been there? Have you? See, we will all find ourselves waiting in this gap. And when that happens, we're left with a choice. To wait on God. See, as a Christian waiting on God, um, that should be easy. I mean, my name is Christian, right? Like, this should come easy. But when being in... The gaps of life push me to the cliff edge of my comfort. I'm confronted by what impatience is revealing. I don't always trust God. Not with this. Sure, yes, like, I trust that God is powerful. I believe that. I know that he's all-knowing, but I have a hard time sometimes trusting his care. Like, for me, specifically, in this moment, in this season of life, on August 20th, 2023, in this body, with my set of problems, in my marriage, with my Story. I don't always trust that God really cares. Let me name what I see in myself, and you can decide if you see it in you too. When I slow down enough and I examine my heart, I can see that I often trust a story that says God is holding out on me, or God might disappoint me, or I'm not going to be okay. See, so yeah, that might... I know that um, maybe feels extreme or dramatic, but let me just tell you a story from my own life like with a bunch of strangers who, who knows when you'll see me again, you know? But um, this might feel silly, but like in my own life, I've been experiencing this with my wife. We've been trying to buy a house for months now and um, it's been such a frustrating process. Like work with an awesome realtor, but like the whole process is just, it sucks. Like it's just frustrating. And, you know, housing prices are really high. I'm like, what it costs for a two bedroom, one bathroom? These are, I'm like, Jesus, come soon. <laughs> like, <laughs> come soon. Um, the prices are high and you're like, what does wood cost and inflation and you're like, in the market and all this stuff. And I wish I would've bought a house a few years ago and someone told me to and I didn't do it and now I'm married and you know, one day we wanna have kids and I wanna blah, 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 blah. And at the same time, let's be honest, like, I live in America. I'm in the wealthiest, most um, physically and militarily secure place in the world. I have a roof over my head. I'm not at risk for being houseless. I have a well-paying job. But still, like, this process is just... As I think about it a lot, I'm realizing it's not just because I want to buy a house and I can't get the thing I want. Like, I'm not just throwing a tantrum. I realize that, like... Buying a house in America, and I'll just be like super transparent, like as a black man in America, I know that the house, buying a house and having land is one of the only ways to like, or the most secure ways to grow an economic future for yourself and for your family. And I feel behind, I feel trapped. I feel like I'm not in control of my financial future. I feel like I'm at the mercy of a market I'm at the mercy of realtors, I'm at the mercy of inflation, I'm at the mercy of everyone. I am not in control and it scares me. I might not verbalize it, but I secretly think, God, the way things appear, they show that you can't fully be trusted with my story. You can't fully be trusted with my well-being. I better take it from here. So what do we do? We try to write our own story with our own limited resources, which just sounds like a lot of people in the scripture, right? Like King David, selfishly taking what he can when he has some idle time, and he's staring at his window. Deliverer Moses, frustrated with work and with people who are just pushing him to his limits. It's Sarah and Abraham, exhausted from waiting on unanswered prayers. Cain, angry at God and angry at his family because the cards he's seemingly been dealt. See, you see, when we don't trust that we'll have what we need from God, we take and we grasp. It's like Adam and Eve, a problem as old as time. Do you know what the church father, the early church father, Tertullian of Carthage, called Adam and Eve's original problem in sin? This is so interesting. Tertullian of Carthage, he said Adam and Eve's problem was impatience. It's what leaks out when I'm waiting on God's care but don't have what I need inside me to wait well. And it always, almost always leaves me grasping or self-protecting because I'm afraid of how my story might end up which leads some of us to focus all of our energy outward. You go to anger, you go to control, you go to strain, you go to manipulation, but it forces other of us, and it puts other of us in a position where we go inward towards anxiety or despair because deep down the only person I trust to care for me is me. Which, that gets to the heart of it, doesn't it? Did you hear that? The only person I trust to care Care for me is me. You see, impatience isn't really your issue. It's just a manifestation of your real issue. Trust is your issue. See, deep down, you don't really trust that God cares for you like, really cares for you, personally, individually, and specifically. Somewhere you began to trust another voice, and it's been whispering, your moment is now, your desires will never be met, you're not going to be okay, your waiting will be wasted. So what do we do is you go beyond your limits, you say yes to things that should actually be no, you say no to things that are probably an invitation from Jesus to say yes, you get nervous or angry or despair, you try to protect yourself from all forms of suffering. Christopher West, the Catholic theologian, he put it this way. This is the deception that humanity came to believe because of the cunning of the serpent. God has no intention of providing for the satisfaction of our hunger. Believing we only have two choices, starve or take satisfaction into our own hands. And if those are our only two choices, I'm gonna take whatever I can get. See, impatience, it has a voice, it tells a story, but where has that taken you? Like actually think think about it. This is I guess it's still rhetorical, but like I actually want you to think about it. Where has impatience and how has impatience ever played out for you in your life ever? Like vocationally, emotionally, relationally, spiritually. Don't please by the question. Like don't wait for the next line of this sermon. Just actually think about it for a second. Think about the story of your life. Has impatience ever served you well? Has it ever given what it promised? It underpromised. It, 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 it overpromises and under-delivers. See, and then what it does is impatience, it leads to so many forms of dysfunction, misalignment, or what the scripture calls sin. See, often sin, it's my attempt to cope with how my life is going. It's me trying to meet my felt needs with my own resources. Just listen to this list from Galatians 5. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, adultery and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. Did he leave anything out? See, those are the ways that we act out, the ways that we cope with our lack of control, despair, fear, unmet desires, and impatience. It's what we do when our story is not going how we want. It's our taking, what God wants to actually give in his way and timing. It's our impatience and our lack of trust manifesting its sin. Or to paraphrase the church father, Ignatius of Loyola, Sin is unwillingness to trust that what God wants for me is only my deepest happiness. Sin, it's the unwillingness to trust that what God wants for me is only my deepest happiness. See, your sin and impatience, they're telling you something. You're trusting the wrong story. So let me tell you the truth, and it's probably going to surprise you at this point. All right? All right? You're with me? Still there? Doing okay? Need to like slap a neighbor and tell them something? Like, let me tell you something, and I bet it will surprise you at this point. Here we go. You need to become a person of patience. Shocking, right? Right? Yes, Christian, you, you did that much sermon to just tell us patience? Yes. Patience. And patience, it's a slow journey, and it starts with the story that we trust about our world. You see, patience and impatience, they actually trust different stories. Impatience. It trusts that your desires will never be met, so take for yourself. It says your waiting will be wasted, so you have to get everything now. It says you're not safe, so protect yourself from all forms of suffering. Now is that how you see the world? Is that how you see your life? Can't you see how fragile that is? It's like pouring, trying to hold water in your hand, it just leaks out. Seeing the world that way, it doesn't hold weight To reality. See, I find that Jesus' view, the Christian worldview, it trusts a story about reality that is so much more complex, so much more compelling. Sometimes a little more frustrating, but it's true. See, Jesus, his story about the world and the story of patience, it trusts, first of all, that you don't have to take because God cares for you. Like the God of the universe cares for you individually, personally. Not just like, oh, like Jesus loves a little chill. Like, no, like true, but he cares for you. Like you in this moment of your life, in this moment of your story, God uniquely cares about you. You know, our our rabbi Jesus, he said it this way. He said, go take a walk outside. Matthew chapter six, the Christian doesn't paraphrase. Go take a walk outside and look at the birds in the sky and the flowers of the field The flowers, they look beautiful. And the birds, they're never hungry. How much more does your Father in heaven care for you? Jesus says, just go for a little walk. Take a deep breath in of the air that God is providing. Actually, do that real quick. Just take a deep breath in. Let it out. You couldn't get that for yourself. God provided the air you breathe. How much more if he paints the flowers and feeds the birds? Does he actually care for you specifically? Second of all, you don't have to get everything now because your deepest desires will be met in the age to come. So do you long for security, for a home, for romance, for success, for family, for sex, for for resources, for experiences? Well, being a Christian does not mean that you'll get everything in this life and everything that you want right now. Sorry. I wish it did. You know, everyone would sign up to follow Jesus if that was the case. It was like, just follow Jesus and you get everything you want. Sign me up, here's my name, take it. You need the social security number two, you got it, I'm in. No, being a follower of Jesus does not mean that everything I want in this life I'm going to get. It doesn't even mean every good thing I pray for I'm going to get, and that's complex. Y'all, like, let me be honest, and I think, sorry, let me just rat on my own vocation. Like, I think a lot of ministers and pastors were not honest enough. We don't want to hold the complexity because, truthfully, we don't trust it ourselves and we don't always trust that our churches can handle it. But let me tell you something complex and true. I don't know why every prayer isn't answered. I have a list of ideas. I don't know why every prayer is not answered. And by the way, for some of you, this has just come to my mind, but if you need a good resource on that, there's a great book called God on Mute 15 Reasons Why Prayers uh, Go Unanswered. Great book, God on Mute. One more time, God on you. If that's part of your journey and story, I would really recommend reading it. The truth is, like, not everything I desire, not even every good thing will be met in this life or this age. But hear me. Look at me for one moment. There is a day coming. If the story of the scripture is true, then there is a day coming where all of our longings, all of our wants, all of the things that we want. So you think, like, I think I'm trying to buy a house and not financial security. What I'm really wanting is I want to be safe. I want home. And if the story of scripture is true, then the book of Revelation tells us that the dwelling place of God is going to be with man and he's gonna wipe away every tear from their eye. There will be no more sickness, no more death, no more pain, no more evil, no more injustice. There is a day coming that we long for and wait for. And it's good news to those who wait. It's good news to those who are downtrodden. It's good news to those who are longing. It's good news to those who are hurting. See, we are not those who wait and hope in vain. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 that if we as followers of Jesus have only to hope in this life, then we are to be pitied among all people. Oh, no, 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 no. But there's an empty tomb. And there's a coming Messiah and a coming Savior who's gonna set this world straight. See, so y'all, we don't hope for everything to happen in this life. Don't, don't get me wrong. I'm still going to pray for every single thing I want in this life. But we don't, hope, we don't need it all to happen because the day is coming. We're not people of this age. We're people of the already and the not yet. And, y'all, this is the story that enslaved Africans in America trusted. This is the story that civil leaders civil rights leaders march to in this country. This is the story that empowers God's people to wait well. See, patience, it trusts that God's, God cares for you. It trusts that your deepest desires will be met in the age to come. And third, it trusts, and you're gonna love this part, that in this age, suffering is promised. Welcome to following Jesus. Jesus said this really famous line, and it's, it's interesting. He says, in this life, you will have trouble. Everybody say trouble. I know that like, that's probably not your life verse, right? Like that's not the thing that you put in like cool calligraphy and hang on your wall in this life, live, laugh, love in this life, you'll have trouble. Like that's probably not the line that you want because it doesn't feel very comforting unless it's true, unless it's actually reality. And what if the most comforting thing that Jesus can do sometimes is he can tell us the truth. See, suffering is a part of this life, it's a part of this age, even the suffering of waiting. Waiting is hard because it's a form of suffering. And what Jesus is trying to teach his people that suffering is a part of life, even the suffering of waiting, which means as Jesus followers, we don't deny suffering. Like we don't act like it's not there. We don't diminish suffering. We don't say that like pain isn't really pain or that like every bad thing is a good thing in disguise. Y'all, that's not true. Some things are just bad. Some things are just evil. Some things are just wrong. I think Jesus hates sickness. I think he hates cancer. I think he hates rape. I think he hates genocide. I think he hates racism. I think he hates injustice. I hope he hates the prices of this housing market. I took away a very serious moment, but that's how I deeply (laughs) felt. But I think the evil in this world, we don't need to lie to ourselves and be in a form of denial and call it good. See, Christians, we do not deny suffering. We do not diminish suffering. We do not celebrate suffering. This is what we do. As Jesus followers, we retrain ourselves to see life, suffering, and waiting through Jesus' perspective where we don't deny it. We don't diminish it. We don't celebrate it. We expect it. And then we expect God to reuse it. And it's through that sort of difficult embodied trust that we learn to wait on the Lord and become people of patience. Maybe that's why several Bibles translate the word patience as long-suffering. Patience, it might just be the inner fortitude that you need to suffer long. Now, do you know what a lot of psychologists attribute as one of the most helpful factors when people are suffering? Not suffering alone. I know what that's like to be in like one of the hardest seasons of my life. I remember being engaged before I got married. Um, I was engaged to another woman and I remember what it was like when uh, my engagement imploded and it ended and ended over a number of months and it was just... A pastor and it was embarrassing and it felt I felt stupid and I was confused and Jesus I prayed and all this stuff and I remember just like having cried a lot of nights and being frustrated and I remember the pain and the suffering but I remember the people who just like showed up in my house and watched Netflix with me when I didn't have much to say I didn't have words and they didn't ask too many questions we just sat and watched Netflix they showed up and some of you know what that's like, to have people co-suffer, to have people show up in the middle of your suffering. You know that's what compassion means, co-passion. It's the Latin, it actually means to co-suffer. There's nothing like having a friend who's compassionate, a friend who shows up in the middle of your suffering, a person who doesn't just like care for you, they're not just like, oh, I'm sorry, but they they stay in the middle of it, they get into the muck in the middle of it with you. They see your pain and suffering and they're not distant or aloof or just hopeful, but they get right into it. Isn't it interesting? Well, at least I find it interesting that when God, when Moses in Exodus 34 talks to God and goes, God, what are you like? What is your name? And he goes, the Lord, the Lord, Yahweh, Yahweh, I am gracious and compassionate. When God talks about what he's like, do you know the word he says? It's compassion. When a bunch of exiled Jews living in captivity out of their homeland, waiting for God to deliver them, when they put together the scriptures and they reflected on their history and their story, and they reflect on the character of God in the middle of their pain, in the middle of their suffering, do you know what's the most repeated verse in the Bible by the Bible? Exodus 34, the Lord your God, he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, maintaining faithfulness to a thousand generations. These people understood something that I think we forget. They remembered that God is compassionate and nowhere do you see it more than the life and the death of Jesus. I mean, when the four gospel writers, when they open up this, when they wrote down and they penned years after life, when they're getting ready to die and they penned about the life of Jesus. Do so you know what thing every gospel writer kept talking about? Jesus was moved by compassion. It's like, they couldn't, like they, they couldn't help but remember that, you know, yes, he, of course, he was powerful. Yes, he did miracles, but he was compassionate. See, it's not enough to have a God who's powerful. It's not enough to have a God who's all-knowing. It's not, like not, it's not enough to have a God who just can do it. No, no, we have a God who doesn't just see our suffering, doesn't just know about it, but he steps into it. And no more, nowhere more do we see that than in the cross of Christ, where Jesus actually doesn't just die and take on suffering with us, but for us. He takes on all of the sin, all of the injustice, all of the evil, but not only that, he was raised again. And so do we not only share in Christ's death where all of our sin and our sin and our, and our evil and our sin, all of it can be on the cross and die with him, but we also get to co-share in his life and new resurrection so that anyone who hopes or trusts in Jesus will have new life too. And he promises that he's coming again, to set the world straight, so that every form of waiting, every form of longing, everything that our deep desires point to, he he will meet. Can't you see how wonderful that God is? More complicated than we probably like, but way more beautiful than we could ever hope. See this God, he's compassionate, he's a God who co-suffers, he's a God who's patient and the enemy of your soul he wants you to forget that very fact about God. And for some reason, I, can I? women, this is for you too, but can I just talk to the men for just like 30 seconds? There's no gathering after this, so you're just stuck. But men, I, I, particularly for this gathering, I just felt for the men in this room and I just wanna tell you, y'all, the enemy of your soul wants you to forget that your father is compassionate. You know, in 1 Timothy chapter 1 or 2, when Paul's talking to Timothy, he says, you know, Timothy, why I think God chose me? Paul says, it's not because I'm the smartest, not because I'm more passionate, not because I'm the most eloquent. Paul tells Timothy, I think God chose me because my life is a demonstration of his patience. In other words, when people look at Paul's life, when they look at that man's life, they don't see a man who's perfect, a man who had it figured out. No, they see a man who God has been very patient with. Men, is that how you see yourself? As a man who God is being very patient with. See, I actually have this, and this is not in my sermon, but like I just think that some of you men have been distant from God. You have like held him at arm's distance because somewhere deep down, you don't believe he's really patient with you. So maybe you're trying to earn yourself back. Maybe you're just trying to like cope and you're just like, hey, I know what it's like to stay this far from God. And the scary thing is that sometimes God will let you. I'm here to tell you that's a lie. The enemy is a liar. And he wants nothing more than for you to believe a lie about the character of God. No, this God, he's better than you could imagine. He's compassionate. So let me summarize. You might think that your problem is waiting, but your real problem actually is trusting. Trusting. And you might think that the solution would be patience, but it's actually not. The goal of this sermon is not to tell y'all to work on patience. Because haven't you tried that before? Like a decent sermon, some good notes, like some new things to think about, emotional willpower, like muster it up. It'll last you to Tuesday, maybe Thursday if you're good. Because information alone and willpower alone and emotion alone is not enough to transform your life. See, the scripture was written to God's people a lot like us, and it tells us something different. I want us to read it out loud together. It's going to be on the screen. Are you ready to participate? Great. Let's read it out loud together. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Do you see what patience is? It's fruit. See, patience and impatience, they're not the things you're doing. It's the byproduct of your life. So patience is not the thing you try to do. It becomes the fruit of your life, which takes time. So let me give like a quick like warning on this sermon. You are not going to walk out of here and have a 100 degree, 180 degree change. You're not going to walk out of here today and like be a completely different person. Some like very unlikely. It's very unlikely that today is a 180 for any of you. But what if today was just like a two-degree shift? Like what if just like by two degrees, you shifted how you lived your life and how you followed Jesus, and then you just walked that direction in a long obedience for a long time? Where could your life end up? See, agrarian societies, they saw it daily. Fruit, it's just a result of a tree's health or unhealth. Fruit tells you how the tree is doing. So if your life is characterized by impatience, you don't go and try to be patient. Instead, you just work slowly over seasons of your life to cultivate a healthy tree, which makes sense of why Paul doesn't tell followers of Jesus in Galatia to just be patient. Paul says, and the command of the scripture is to keep in step with the spirit, be led with the spirit, live by the spirit, and walk by the spirit. Paul is saying, in other words, stay rooted in Jesus, which is just my invitation for y'all today. Stay close to Jesus. Stay rooted in him walk by his spirit, live in connection with him. That's how we live in the gap between this age and the age we are waiting for to come. We walk with Jesus' spirit. That simply means not living life on your own terms. It means not staying behind Jesus, not getting too far ahead, not moving ahead or behind his timing, not walking in your own wisdom, but just cooperating with Jesus. Like, cooperate. Cooperate. You operate alongside with him. It's not all him. It's not all you. You do it together. That's the language of relationship and trust, which is what Jesus is after. He's not trying to make you an obedient robot. Siri does that. (laughs) What Jesus wants is partners, people who think and feel and live and breathe and move and contribute and partner with God in rebuilding the world. That's the posture that the psalmist takes in Psalm 37, remembering that this is an oppressed minority group. They knew a lot about waiting, and these are the words they held on to. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. In other words, cooperate your life with him. Don't trust a story that says you have to make life on your own. Trust the true story. See, for centuries, uh, Jesus followers, they've built practices or habits to help us keep in step with the spirit, to help us do the two degree thing. That's how we become people of patience. And they come actually out of Psalm 37. Uh, did you catch it earlier? Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. The practices or spiritual disciplines I just wanna offer to you for this week to try out is stillness and prayer. Now, Let me tell you, like I know when a person stands on the stage, you don't know me, you don't know my life, you don't know my sin, you don't know my stories, so it probably sounds like I got this figured out. Y'all, I am preaching out of the stuff of Jesus, like welcome to my journals. <laughs> Like this is the mess Jesus is trying to like form into me. Stillness, it's hard for me. Like I did a retreat a few uh, weeks ago where I was gonna take like 36 hours, two nights, just be by myself in a cabin and like no phone, no anything, just have my Bible and a journal and just like be before God. And like, have you ever heard people tell those kind of stories where they're like, they just like, oh, I just sit in the stillness of God and the presence of the Lord comes down and just mm, I lose all sense of time. So I remember like going on this retreat and I'm sitting in this field and I have my Bible and I'm praying, Jesus, what do you have for me? And like I woke up, whenever I woke up, didn't set an alarm. And so I'm out there and it feels like hours, it's just beautiful. And I'm like, felt like Jesus was was just like bringing up little things in my life that he wanted to deal with and talk about. And so then I eventually, like after however long, I go back into the cabin and I just make a cup of chai and I I see unintentionally, like I look at, I see the clock and it's 8.30 in the morning. I swore it was probably to maybe 11. It was 8.30 in the morning. See, some people say that stillness is actually the container for the spiritual life. And the problem is that our society is forming us to be anything but still, anything but silent, anything but waiting. And I didn't hear about stillness as a posture of a Christian growing up. But you know what it is? It's taking the posture of actually, with my body, physically waiting on God. See, some of us, we don't know how to wait on God with our minds or with our emotions, with our finances, with our future, because we haven't even tried it with our bodies. So what we do is we posture ourselves just still before God, sometimes with physical hands open, just saying, God, I'm going to wait on you. And what we hope is that, like, you will feel the presence of God come down. But truthfully, what normally happens is all of our anxieties come up. All the fears come up, all the Sadness comes up, all of the problems come up, all of the stuff with that person comes up, all the problems at work come up, all of the the hopes that have not been realized come up. And then you realize that that's the thing that Jesus is actually after. That's the thing he wants to talk about. See, stillness and prayer. See, prayer is not talking to God about the things you think he wants to talk about. Prayer is not giving lip service. Prayer isn't going through whatever words you wanna recite or say. Prayer is only prayer when it's honest. It doesn't matter what you say. If it's not honest, it's not prayer, which is why the Psalms are really incredible. We're in a we're doing a summer in the Psalms. Y'all, do you realize that the Psalms are just a book of prayers? The longest book of the Bible is just prayers. They're not even always good theology. They're not. David's like, yo, would you, God, I just pray that that person who pissed me off that their babies would be thrown over a cliff onto rocks, That's prayer. Prayer is not prayer because it's cute. Prayer is not prayer because we think it's what God wants to hear. Prayer is prayer only when it's honest. And David and the psalmist, all throughout the psalms, what they're doing is David basically half the time is like deeply depressed or like angry as can be, like biblically basically swearing at God. Depression and fury. And that's prayer. Holding my life before God in the truest honesty, the the parts of me that I can actually tell him, all of the things that I don't think he wants to talk about. And he's like, that's what I'm after, because I'm actually after you. So we show up to God with our true heart, with our whole self, y'all. And that's part of why we don't just say our prayers. Sometimes we sing them. That's why you come here on time. They didn't tell me to say that. That's why you show up on time and you go, Jesus, whatever these lyrics are gonna be on that tiny little font, I am, I I, I got glasses, I'm like. But whatever those lyrics are gonna be, Jesus Before I feel them, before I even have experienced that they're true, I'm just going to say them and sing them. I'm going to read them. I'm gonna hear my sisters and my brothers sing them because what I need right now is not just what I feel. It's not just what I want. It's not just whether or not I sound good. I need to use my body, use my little vocal cords to sing truth, to sing about reality. I need to reform my soul through singing. See, stillness, prayer, And even our sung prayers, our songs, they actually do something crazy. They form us into people who can wait well. Isn't that what we need? See, stillness and prayer, those are the postures of God's people in Psalm 37 who pray, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy his pasture. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your ways to the Lord. Trust in him and he will do this. He will make your righteous rewards shine like the dawn. Your vindication like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. And then he goes like this. I was young, but now I am old, yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken nor are their children begging for bread. See, our prayers, our songs, even our stillness, they form us into people who experience this thing. The church mother, St. Teresa of Avila, she said this, let nothing trouble you, let nothing frighten you. All things pass away, but God never changes. Patience obtains all things. Whoever has God lacks nothing, for God alone suffices. So let me ask you this. What could your life look like if you actually began to trust Jesus' story and care for your life? What could happen if you walked with his spirit moment by moment? And family, what would happen if God's family in Sumner, Washington were a people who were marked by patience? So let me say it once more life is hard. You are not in control. You will live life in the gap. Suffering and waiting will come. And if you do not become a person of patience, a person who can wait well, it might crush you. But there is hope. You can follow Jesus. You can trust Jesus' story about reality, the world, and your story. You can do what God's people have done for millennia. You can patiently wait on him and walk each moment with him. And if you do, I think you'll notice that you don't just have to try to muster up patience in those moments that you need it. No, over time, you'll become the sort of person who is patient. You'll become the sort of person who waits well. The choice is yours. Be still before the Lord. And wait patiently for him. Would you stand with me? Just if you're willing and able, you don't have to. But if it helps you, um, would you just close your eyes for a moment? I'm not gonna do anything weird, I promise. I'm not gonna like run out of here while your eyes are closed. Wouldn't that be funny? Like open them, you're like, oh, he's gone. All right. And if it helps you, again, we're, we're bodies too. So I just invite you, if you're willing and able, close your eyes and then just open your hands. And again, this isn't a magic trick. It's just a posture. If you're, if you're in a place where you're saying, Jesus, I just wanna be open to whatever you have, then a way of praying that, not using your mouth, it's with your body and just hands are open. Jesus, here I am and I'm open. And again, you don't have to do this. So like my feelings aren't hurt. If you don't wanna do it, that's fine. But if you are open you're open to Jesus maybe saying something to you or doing something in you, just open your hands. It's a posture. It's like one more deep breath in. Let it out slowly. Remember God is so attentive to you right now. You have nowhere else to go, nowhere else to be. Lunch can wait. Because the God of the universe is paying attention to you. I've said a lot, I said it quickly. but Jesus, I think, wants to and will speak to you personally. So we're just gonna take a moment to be still and listen. to Be quiet, to quiet our souls and listen. And for some of us, that'll come as like a thought. Something might just pop in your head, it might be a memory, it might be a care or a worry, it might be a frustration, it might be a person. It might be an emotion in your body, you might just be overcome by an emotion. Sometimes they're negative emotions like fear. Sometimes they're positive like joy. It might be a bodily sensation, whatever it is. And don't rush past it, pay attention. Jesus might be speaking to you right now about a thing. He might even be quiet and that's okay because sometimes silence is just muted presence. So that's just the peace of God, actually peace of God, would you just come and rest in this room? And then whatever pops in your mind, whatever he wants to talk about, whatever comes to body or mind or imagination, just quietly under your breath, just ask Jesus, okay, what do you wanna say about that thing? Some of you will need to write it down. So if you need to pull out your phone or a piece of paper, write it down. My memory's terrible, so I have to write it down. For some of you, I think when I talked about stillness, the feeling wasn't joy, it was a combination of anxiety. Or for others, like this weird thing, and maybe it's from your church background or family of origin, where like, ugh, another thing I have to do to like, prove my faith walk and earn God's presence, that's a lie. No, it's just another way God can encounter you, that's it. Don't get it twisted, don't make it more complex. Don't listen to the voice of the enemy, just brush off the lie. So just for another moment, Holy Spirit, we'll be quiet. I'll shut up. What do you wanna say to your people? Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to partner with us in sharing Jesus and helping people experience life change, you can support our mission by clicking the link in the description. If this message has impacted you, please subscribe and share. To learn more, visit wearecalvary.com. We'll see you back
1: next week.